Welcome, Miss Kara. We're all glad you're back. We've been praying for you. That's exciting. Well, it's uh, this morning I wanted to just start off and get you to take your mind back 2,000 years and think about um, the man who knew he was about to die. And he began to pray out to his heavenly father. What would you pray if you knew that uh, you only had a few days left and life was going to end, you were going to move on? What would you be praying for? Um, what would be your request to the Lord? What would you plead to the Lord for? Well, I wanted to start kind of in that sobering spot this morning with Jesus Christ and his prayer. And, uh, and I find it in John chapter 17 as he begins to uh, say one of the last prayers we have recorded. They call it the high priestly prayer. And uh, he talks about just everything that God has done and glorifying them. And he, and he says, Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And he goes on to talk about that, about loving the Heavenly Father and about becoming one. He wants them, us to be sanctified. He doesn't want us to be pulled from the world, but to stay in the world and to be one in the world. And so his prayer, Jesus' prayer for us, is that we would indeed be unified. Jesus prays for our unity as a body of believers. And you know what? If we're honest, as a church, as the family of God, which we've been talking about, isn't that one of our hardest struggles to remain unified? I'm not going to give you a chart of denominations just in the United States to prove it. <laughs> But we have a hard time being unified. In fact, I think that's a problem around the world. Unity, true unity, is difficult. It's hard. It's, it's a great struggle for us to be the ones, the ecclesia, the church, set apart. But if we're the ones that are to represent Christ, how we live and how we do community together matters. It is vital what it looks like when we say that we are the Ohana, the family of God. And so as we've been walking through this, uh, each week I'm reviewing, just showing you, so it gets deeper down into our hearts, all the benefits of being in God's family. We go from being a stranger to being part of Ohana, family, belonging. We go from segregated to having siblings across all tribes, tongues, nations, gender. From alone to known, people know and care about us. And then we move from the global family, we're in a global family, but God puts us in local families, local churches, from parts, all working separately to one whole working together under the name of the Lord. And last week we had a great lesson uh, by these young men as they took all those parts and made them into one whole with that little Lego church there. Christ is the foundation, all the colors coming together representing all your different gifts and skills. And, and so as we, we looked at that last week, uh, we had that we went from plans to one purpose, the mission of God, make disciples, glorify God. Individuals to a team, skilled to gifted, built to builder, and consumers to conduits, conduits of grace, conduits that that allow God's love to flow through us because we're about other people, not just ourselves. And so this morning as we come and we walk through that, there's an interesting verse, though. 
after Paul tells us all about this, here is what he says. I earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. I'm like, if there's a more excellent way, why didn't you just start with that? But he's building a case here, and he's going to lay out for us uh, what comes next is often pulled out of the scriptures, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, and this is often a passage we pull out, right? It's a passage we use at weddings. And even people who do not follow the Lord will pull out this passage and use it because it is a beautiful description of love. Everybody wants to be loved in the way that this passage describes. That is what we desire. That's what I would desire. That's what I luckily have. Oh, wait, she's not in here. I didn't have to say that. No, well, that is what we have and what we desire. And so he begins and he says in chapter 13, if you want to follow along, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's telling us that without this love, it doesn't matter what we do as a church, what we put on as a church, how we go about doing church. If we don't have this ingredient of love, it's not going to amount to what God would have us be. And he goes on to describe love. Many of you know this, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, go live that out. Enough said, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a really clear passage on how love is to be lived out, right? And so we could just end there and say, okay, let's try and figure it out. But what I love about the New Testament and the scriptures, as we'll see, especially in the next two weeks, is that this is all applied to real people trying to figure it out. And one day we'll go through this book of Corinthians and discover they are real people with a lot of real problems, and they were struggling, and they needed to hear this just as much as we do today. But I enjoy that because as we look at this, we see that these aren't just poetic words. They're words that people strive to live out, and they're just as applicable to the first churches that were starting up and struggling with this as they are to our church today. And that continues to blow me away how amazing scripture travels through time and is applicable, applicable across time. And yet, as I looked at this, I'm like, man, that's hard. 
I can't do that. I cannot produce that kind of love from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's just too hard for me to do it. But then as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, I can't produce this kind of love. In fact, there's a passage that I began to see. There's a lot of parallels. And if you turn over to Galatians uh, chapter 5, uh, then you'll see these parallels um, in what we see here in verses uh, 22 to 23. And uh, Paul here is writing this letter to the Galatians, talks about Christ and about evil to avoid, sins to avoid, and then he comes into what we call the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. So I looked at it and I'm like, huh, it's these fruit of the Spirit that are produced when we walk by the Spirit in obedience to the Scriptures and striving to follow God and adjust our lives to it. He produces much of this love in us. It's mysterious, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's where the power to be patient, to be kind, to endure with another, one another comes from. You know, and as I look at it, it, it can be pretty frustrating. So yesterday we spent all this time in our yard. And, uh, you know, there were deals cut and agreements made on the side to get all four kiddos out there, but we did it. And we worked on our leaves and branches and cleaning up. And, you know, I go back this morning, I'm looking out the window, and I'm like, Rachel, I know, I know we made progress yesterday. I just see leaves sprinkled still a little everywhere. Then you go out, and I, I looked in the front yard. Yeah, there's like 12 bags full of leaves. Yeah, we made some progress. I think that reminded me, it's like sometimes we look at, I can tend to look at the things I'm struggling with and not look at, oh man, look at how much work the Holy Spirit has done, how much he's removed out of that garden in my heart, how much progress has been made. We're not going to get there to follow this love perfectly, but we should see glimpses of it. We should see the Holy Spirit cleaning us up in some areas and, and changing us and transforming us. And in the New Testament, there, there's a phrase that begins to help us look at practical ways of living this out. And this phrase happens, uh, depending on how you're looking at it, uh, over 50 times in the New Testament is a command. And it helps us to understand both how we change personally and this morning I want to see how we change as a community. And this word is translated into two words for us, and uh, it is simply the, the word one another. One another. The word one another is the, is the meaning from the original Greek language. It's a reciprocal relationship, a back and forth, each person participating. Okay? We teach this to our kids on how to have a conversation. Now, their grandpa actually has a ping pong table. We say it's like ping pong. You're not really playing ping pong if you just drop it and hit it and the other person stands there and never hits it back. Like a good conversation, you say something, somebody responds. It's back and forth. It's reciprocal. And without it, 
You don't have one another. You just have by yourself. The amazing thing about love is you can't do it all alone. It's pretty hard. You've got to be in community with other people. And then your love is tested to see if it's genuine. And then your love really will grow when you're amongst others, especially others from all different backgrounds and lives. It's hard enough in our own home. And yet when you get out and try and come in a community of people that were once strangers that are now called family, we have to figure out how to love one another. And so on these sheets in front of you, we, I've just listed off really kind of by category some of these verses. Um, and, and it lists them here, starting with number two, apparently. But um, so we're going to make you even more uncomfortable this morning. But I like doing that. But if you need a sheet, let me know. Uh, or you can share with someone next to you. So what I'd like to do, I thought, why don't we just hear it read by different voices than mine? And so we'll just start over here with Mr. Dan, and uh, you can pass it back through there and whatever, work it through. If you don't want to say anything, just pass the mic on. But follow along in order. Just read the bold underlined part, okay? The bold underlined part. And I have plenty of extras too. So we're going to go through starting it with, with uh, number two. And then read the bold underlined part, and then you can pass the mic. Be at peace with one another. You love one another even as I have loved you. Devoted to one another, honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. The building up of one of another. Accept one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Bearing with one another in love. For we are members of one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. Submit to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not lie to one another. Comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another and build each other up. Live in, live in peace with each other. Always try to be kind to each other. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one, each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. 
grumbling against each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We have fellowship with one another. Look how it perfectly ended up with you to turn it off. Thank you for doing that. Just hearing those, I just... And uh, can we live this out in a way that's impactful? And so if we look at these, they come in different categories. You can really break them down. And about uh, one-third of them is about love. So we need to move from receiving to reciprocating love which is part the, one of the most repeated phrases. And even when we have another phrase, with love is connected to it, isn't it? You see, our love begins from Jesus receiving his love, understanding that he died for us, understanding the love of a heavenly father has for us. And as we understand that, and we're washed in it, and we receive it, that's why Jesus says the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And once we do that, our hearts become full. We don't need to look to the world for love and fulfillment. And then that can overflow out onto other people. But it's got to start at the cross and at the empty grave. And so as we look through these, I just picked out a few of the, the ones that describe love. And this love is often the term agape love. It's that unconditional love. It's that love you have for somebody in spite of who they are because of who Jesus is. It's that love that, that says, I'm going to love you because you're family now. Instead of, well, you've got to earn it, or you did that, so I'm pulling back my love. And so as we look at this, and, and we walk through some of these, it is a, a reminder, especially if you look in the book of uh, the letter from 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he talks about, Listen, if you say you love the Heavenly Father, but you don't love one another, I don't think you get what it means to love the Father. I don't think you get the gospel. And he is firm in it. He says, I don't know if the love of God is in you if you can't figure out how to love one another. And in Galatians, Paul tells him, it is through love that you begin to serve one another in Galatians 5 before we get to the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, we're told to tolerate one another in love. So love motivates our tolerance. And when we say tolerance, it's not this political, worldly term. No, it, it's realizing that, yeah, not everybody is like me. And I know what the major things are that I'm going to draw a line in the sand on. But other things I can tolerate because I'm glad you're here in the kingdom of God. I'm glad you're here with us worshiping today. And honestly, sometimes it's easier to apply love to somebody you don't know, <laughs> to give them a little bit more grace than it is with somebody you spend to do a lot more life with. I find that the closer someone gets to me, maybe sometimes the harder love is because you start to let your guard down a little bit. And yes, you did hear it correctly. We are to greet one another with a holy kiss in love. This is where I always remind you that 
The Bible was written to a specific people in a specific context with a specific culture. The point is that when we see each other, we greet each other as is appropriate. In Hawaii, what did we get as a greeting at Sunday? We got a lay and a hug, and I got some of that permanent lipstick that wouldn't come off. But uh, I hadn't had that since Texas, so uh, thank you all. Um, <laughs> but it's that kind of affection, just saying, ah, oh, it's good to see you. Genuinely good to see you this morning. And that is a way that we can begin to be devoted to one another in love. And I love that word being devoted to one another, committed to one another. We're devoted to this. We're in this, even though it's not easy. And so as we look at this, even Paul wrote in his word in his letter to the Ephesians, I love it. He writes that, I want you to grow in your understanding of love, the height, the breadth, the depth of love. That's what we need to grow in, is our understanding of love. I've never stopped growing or understanding the gospel and trying to dig deeper into it and understand all the ways God loves me in spite of myself. The second most common theme after love is unity. And so we need to move from receiving to reciprocating from uniformity to unity. Uniformity says, I will like you and enjoy being around you if you are like me and you think like me and act like me. And that's a lot of our communities today. You can see people get in it because everybody's got everything in common. And they're, they're asking for uniformity. Everybody needs to think the same. But unity says, I'm going to set aside my personal preferences because Jesus set aside his. Jesus set aside his position on the throne, came down, walked amongst us. He hung out with the rich and famous. He hung out and he did ministry to the lepers. He gave women a special place in a culture that did not. He dealt with prostitutes. He dealt with dirty politicians, tax collectors, angry people, sad people, sick people, contagious people, fishermen, boys, girls, men, women. Jesus came and set aside his, prep, his place, his place of glory being worshipped and lifted on high to walk amongst us and to bring a unity the world has never seen, a oneness between us and God the Father and then between each other. To protect this unity, we have verses on that list such as be at peace with one another. And we'll be talking about that the next couple of weeks as we look specifically at how Philemon, uh, that book of Philemon, that short book, applies all these things that we've learned and how to be at peace and find peace. Don't grumble amongst one another. Grumbling happens when we start to look all around here and focus on the horizontal. Well, the chairs are muddled, they're uncomfortable. And all the, ah, man, where, how long are we going to do set up and tear down? And we begin to look amongst each other. But when we look up and have a vertical perspective, it puts everything in the horizontal back in its place. And we begin to grumble less and less. And yet grumbling is the nature, even from Israel, of being saved and having the whole seas parted. But then... They got tired of the miraculous food that fell from heaven, and they started to grumble. And it's a continuous cycle that we have to protect ourselves against. 
we are called to be of the same mind with one another. The book of Romans, he calls us to that twice. Be of the same mind as one another. Are we gospel-minded? Are we of the same mind about what's important, who's most important, and about the ultimate goal of God's people in God's church? Now, I like this one. Hopefully, it's being applied this morning uh, from Galatians 5 once again. It says, don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Um, you know, hopefully nursery's going well, but that's for all of us. But I hope it's going well. But don't boastfully challenge one another. I've seen that happen. Be gentle and patient. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving to one another. Or to bear with another, forgive one another, seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. And one of the last ones uh, on my list here from James and is confess your sins to one another. You know, I, I look and I, I see the church and I think we do a lot of things well, but one of the things we don't do in our gospel communities, in our families, is provide places for people to confess sins. Now, it's because we know theologically that we're justified. Our sins are forgiven. But there's a power that's broken on Satan whenever we're able to say, I'm struggling with this, and be able to say it and not be looked at and be like... <laughs> You are just such a weak Christian. We need places you can go within this body and say, this is really a struggle for me. I need your help because you're family, because we love one another. We need unity. If we had that, especially for people in my position or any position up front, perhaps we'd be a little better off. That's why we spend time as elders just saying, hey, here's how I'm doing. I've got guys that ask me, it's like, how are you doing? That's up to me whether I'm honest with that or not, but we all need a place where we can confess our struggles and walk alongside one another and say, listen, I hear you. That's important. That is, you've got to deal with that, but I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to help you through that or get you help through that. How else could we maintain unity if we don't confess to one another? It's amazing to me. I see the power of this even when I was teaching. It's etched in my memory when these little kids you see a kid do something and they know it's wrong and without any prompting they go and they say I did this and they go over and they try to make it right with their classmates and the amazing thing is when that happens I tend to see it happen more and more it's like this waterfall effect with the kids and you can see when somebody's truly contrite and they come back on their own without being prompted that that relationship is mended pretty quickly that's the amazing grace of God isn't it when we're honest and when we humble ourselves you know of all these beautiful one another commands in the New Testament uh, one of the authors I was reading pointed out there's some one another's we need to realize are not there <laughs> so what one another's are not there well the Bible doesn't tell us to sanctify one another to humble one another to scrutinize one another to put pressure on one another we're not told to interrupt one another, defeat one another, embarrass one another, or to corner one another. We're not to shame one another. We don't marginalize one another, exclude one another. We don't judge one another. We don't try and run one another's lives. And we don't need to confess one another's sins for each other. Get the plank out of your own eye, Jesus said. In order to do that, we have to follow Christ, and we need to have humility 
about 15% of the one another's are on what I would call a category humility. And it's moving from self-seeking, self-defending, self-centered thoughts to humility. Philippians 2, to see others better than ourselves. Look to their own needs before our own, because it is Christ who descended. That's one of my favorite verses, favorite chapters, Philippians chapter 2. I used it for every missions trip I've ever gone on. You have to memorize. If you're going to go on a missions trip with me, you got to memorize Philippians 2. And then you'll find out you're going to be forced to apply it, whether you like it or not. And every trip I'm on, I'm forced to reapply it over and over. Consider others better than yourself. Looking to Christ as your example. We're not going to eliminate frustrations. It's not going to happen. We're not going to eliminate quirks and pet peeves in other people. But God's word promises that we can grow and mature in this. And more and more love can be seen in us. Clear out those leaves. Get the bags out front. And you will be better off down the road than you were today if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to walk with us. But when we don't, when we lose it, even the best we do is a clang, a gong. It amounts to nothing without love. You know, I've seen this throughout the years and people coming in and out, and I've seen victories and failures. I remember in Texas, Ben, we were growing, and, and I was so excited to see this uh, young man that I knew was on the edge and, uh, of society, and he finally showed up at church. Uh, just in... Uh, torn blue jeans, his cap, and, and uh, some band t-shirt. And uh, man, I was so excited he was there that day, but unfortunately somebody decided to go up to him and tell him if he didn't remove his cap, he didn't belong in the building. And I was like, oh Lord, we missed it on that day. But then I've had others who come and say, you know what, I've never had much room for church, but then somebody remembered my name. And they saw me. And they only met me once at church. And they saw me in the store. They remembered my name and, and asked how I was doing. And they seemed to actually be listening and looking in my eyes when I was talking to them. And I had, hadn't had that value placed on me. That's what I've been looking for. Tell me more about this Jesus. I've seen that. And you know what? Honestly, I've seen that even when we mess up, it is so beautiful when we see people humbling themselves and saying, I messed up. Forgive me. Can I talk to you for a minute? I, I said something that may have hurt you. See, it's not whether we mess up or not. It's just how we handle it that honors Christ. And it all comes back to sincerity, forgiveness, reconciliation, which is the heart of the gospel. One author says, it is impossible for the gospel to remain at the shallow level of opinion, even sincere opinion, without penetrating to the deeper le level of conviction. When the gospel grips us down in our convictions, we embrace its implications wholeheartedly. Therefore, when we mistreat one another, our problem is not a lack of niceness on the surface, but really it's a lack of gospel depth. What we have need of is not a better set of manners, but a far more deeper and true faith in the gospel. 
When you're struggling and frustrated and far away from showing love, ask, how did God show love? Find a passage. How is God patient with me? What if God wasn't patient with me? That's what I ask sometimes. What if there was no grace in the cross? What would I deserve from God? And then I'm more thankful, and I get a little bit of a perspective back. Loving well. This is the code of honor in our family. It's just to be our identity as the people of Christ. It's to be the mark, the smell, the aroma when people interact with us when we're in the community or whether we're gathered here on a Sunday morning. That's to be the picture of who we are. And so it can be pretty challenging at times when we look at these verses and talk about it and then somebody comes up and says, well, how's your church doing? Well, most people would say, well, we're about this many people old, we have this budget, or we're building a building, or we have this program. But I think the question of how your church doing goes to, how are you loving? As we started Incline and we talk as elders, we, we said we, we don't want to go by just those other metrics. We want to go by God's metric and look and measure things that aren't always quantifiable, but just say, really, what evidences do we see of this love working out amongst us? How is it growing amongst us? And that's why we even put within our own core values these statements. We want to be open-handed with love. And that's demonstrated by loving people where they are. Loving people where they are. Connecting an authentic gospel community to live out the one another's. We call it gospel community because of what we've been talking about. You have to return to the gospel. Often when we sin, there's something about the gospel we're not understanding or applying in our lives. Maybe it's putting something else, an idol, out in front of us. Well, we're not believing Jesus is enough. Or maybe you're not believing the identity you have in Christ and you're feeling guilt or shame. And so it's in gospel communities. And as we move forward, uh, we'll be relaunching some of those in the new year, getting together. But even now we have our men's group, our women's group. We have individuals meeting together. That's all gospel community. Our youth group. You're a gospel community. You work and live this out together in life. And then we are to work through, and I love this one, it's unexpected and generous hospitality at our gatherings and in our rhythms of life. When we let go of the things of this world and we're living in love, then we find ways to be generous and it catches people off guard. We're going to talk about that in the month of December. So as we look at this and we talk about being better together, and there's us, right? Different samplings of us being better together. As we look and think about that, I had the opportunity to take three weeks out of the, uh, I guess if you call this a pulpit, but out of speaking, and just to think and ponder as we come upon three years. What are we doing well? I call it looking at things from 30,000 feet. And actually it was, Tried to set things aside, but even flying back over the Pacific at 30,000 feet, I began to ponder and just think about what are we doing well? Well, I think one thing we do well is we are of the same mind as one another. I see that as a characteristic of this body. We have this focus on the gospel that permeates all we do. And that looks different in each of your lives. But I get the blessing of hearing it and observing it and seeing that you all are truly about 
reaching those who are not either in a church or who don't know Christ. You're praying for people. Sometimes that doesn't go well and they don't accept the offer. Other times they're they're growing, but they're not going to show up here. And that's still gospel ministry. But I I see this one-mindedness, this focus, this intentionality, and we don't ever want to lose it, even if we grow and say we're self-sustaining. We don't want to lose that edge, that, that feeling of urgency to reach the lost. And then number two, I see we are tolerating and bearing with one another. We cover for one another. And I love that because when you are in set up, tear down, set up, tear down every week and somebody gets sick or has something come up, I don't hear grumbling. I just see people covering one another and balancing that out, being patient and working through all the little things that can happen with sound glitches or things being set up or not set up or or schedules having to change. You all have been gracious, and it is evident, and it produces a really beautiful fragrance. And I think we're growing in love for one another and building up one another. And I think that just the process of being part of a church plant grows our faith together because we're all stepping out over that edge now, saying, Lord, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And if God has answered prayers, that builds us together, our trust in him. And when we experience that joy together, it is a blessing, a blessing that God gives us to walk through this together and not alone. And I think we're moving into seeing more and more of you stepping out and using your gifts, whether it's here or in the community or amongst other people. So I'm excited, and I'm excited about the individual stories we hear and we get to share. And I'd say that one of the areas we can grow in is being devoted to one another. See, it's so easy in our culture to just slide in and out without commitments anywhere, and yet there's this picture in the Bible of being committed and devoted to one another and submitting yourselves under the care of elders who are to shepherd you, pray for you confront you if things are going awry, come alongside you when things are a struggle and lift you up. And so we'll have that opportunity as we're putting together a membership class to really commit to one another and say, hey, I want to commit to loving you. Will you commit to loving me? And it's not about organized religion. It's about saying we want to be accountable to live this out and we want to work together so the enemy doesn't get a foothold in our unity. We want to commit and work together for the cause of Christ. You know, I can can remember, uh, you know, seeing little kids here, and I remember little Asher. Asher, he's moved to Oklahoma now, and uh, his dad, Andrew, and mom, Lindsay. And I remember one of the first weeks, he could barely carry a chair. It was just as big as him, and he was struggling to get that over to the rack. And then some one of the other adults came up and said, thank you for helping, great job. He smiled and he got twice the strength that day, lifted it up. But then you know what I saw? Boom, 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 all these other kids saw that. They wanted to go get chairs and stack them up. It's amazing how one little word of encouragement had such a ripple effect across them and excitement for them doing that. Imagine what it would look like for our our church to just grow. Pick one of those 36 areas. Just see that grow over the next month. To see it change in us and really focus on it. What What if you as a family 
between now and Christmas, just pick one of these a week. And you sat down on a Sunday afternoon or evening and said, this week's family or this week's spouse, or if you have a friend this week, friend, let's work on being at peace with one another. Or let's see how we can carry one another's burdens this week. And then throughout the week, encourage and say, and, and at the end, don't say where you've fallen short. Just celebrate the moments where things went well that week. Then the next week, add another one and see what God does in your family and in your life or in your marriage and relationships. If you were to just say, Holy Spirit, walk with me and just have a laser focus on one of these areas. You see, that's the challenge and the beauty of being better together. And that's the joy we have of being better together. When we live life with one another and we reciprocate that love and respect and care and see God work in amazing ways. You all are doing a tremendous job. I can't tell you how grateful for we are for each and every one of you. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate what God is doing here. So let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, it's amazing how you've laid out the scriptures for us. You give these broad and big strokes of what love looks like. And then you tell us how we can live and, and do this for one another in practical ways. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that we begin to grow in this as a church, not be satisfied where we're at. And, Lord, I pray that even over this next month, we would continue to grow deeper in regarding one another as more important than ourselves and about being encouraging and speaking to one another and about offering hospitality to one another so that our love for one another grows. But we know it cannot grow if our love for you is not stirred, if our passion for you is not stirred. So even this morning, I know that there are times when each of us struggles, there may be even individuals struggling to just figure out how to love you and connect with you. May you meet them this morning. Meet them in their time and your word this week. Give them more time with you. And Lord, when it's hard, may we come around those and say, you know what, I know you don't have that faith right now, but I've got it for you, and I love you, and it's going to happen. We're not going to leave you. Thank you for the gift of family in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.